the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Sally Sherman for AM860, The Answer. (laughs) Good morning, Doc. Good morning. I didn't hear any music. Yeah, I pushed the wrong button there, buddy. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah. What am I going to do with you? I don't know. I don't know. know, It's a holiday. It's Easter. Easter. Happy holiday. If you weren't so damn cute, we'd shoot you. (laughs) That's a nice little hippity-hoppity song you got here this morning. Well, you can play it at break. We'll hear it then. That's right. Okay. All right. So, you know what marriage is? Yeah, you bet I do. Marriage is a relationship where one person is always right and the other person is the husband. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that, Doc. A lot of truth to that. <laughs> so did you hear about that teenage, 14-year-old teenage girl up in Boston? She woke up to some guy breaking into the house downstairs, and she ran, down, ran downstairs and started cussing him out and telling him it was her house to get out, and she grabbed a couple of steak knives and went after him. And then she had the presence of mind after he took off in his truck to get her cell phone out and video uh, his truck leaving. They got the license number and caught the guy. <laughs> 14 years old, Avery Cormier. You go, Avery. You go. Get the F out of my house. You don't belong here. This is my house. (laughs) I like that. That's that's gutsy. That's gutsy, baby. That's gutsy. So the big to-do this week, of course, the Homeowners Association is always going on. Somebody's already stirring something up. But we haven't gotten the beehive down yet. Tim and Baxter are still trying to get a, a beekeeper to come out and capture the thing, and they're going around looking for money to pay for it. I mean, my God, they're making $400,000 on the sale of their place. Why not just do it themselves? But that's okay. I don't mind chipping in. I said I would. But guess what I put in? I put in a Grizzly car charger, 40 amp, and it charges the car, my new electric car, in about six hours, Ken. It's pretty amazing. You put this in yourself? I put I put it in myself, so I, I have a I had to put a 50 amp breaker because you have to be 10 amps over the uh, over the uh, requirement or, or over the demand of the circuitry, and so as you know, amperes are the flow of electrons over time per second, and it's one coulomb, which is like uh, I don't know, it's like 12 point something to the 10 to the 18th electrons. So that's one, two with 18 zeros behind it, electrons per second that goes by a certain point. And so you have to have a big enough breaker. And uh, as you know, you have to take the panel off of your, you know, your big breaker box that comes into your house where you switch the breakers back on after they get kicked off. If you short something out, you know about that, guys. Absolutely, sure. And so, so I had to pop off the panel. I had to cut a hole because uh, the panel's mounted on a stud, I had to knock out a knockout hole in it and drill with my spade bit through the 2x4 
And then I had to cut a hole about two or three feet away uh, for the actual box for the outlet itself. Then I had to stick my hand in there and pull a piece of metal conduit through and get that fixed between the two points. And then I had to pull number six wire through there. Now, number six, it's they call it six slash three because it has two hot wires and a, and, a, and a common wire. And then it also has a ground wire, a bare copper wire. I mean, this stuff is stiff. I mean, <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't cut it with, with a pair of uh, snipping shears. I had to get out my uh, bolt cutter. You know what a bolt cutter is? Yeah, that's... You had to use a bolt cutter on that? I had to use a bolt cutter to cut it. <laughs> I mean, I struggled. It took me an hour to get that thing through there. Finally got it through, stripped the wires, got it all wired. Of course, I had to wait till the wife left the house because I had to kick off the, the, the electricity to the house because, you know, you don't want to have uh, 200, 300 amps of, of circuitry coming through uh, to the to the breaker box, and then you, you touch two, you, know, you touch a hot and a common ground or a common wire, and, and they're, come, and they're you putting know, you in the ground. They'll put you in the ground. So I had to wait for her to leave because we wouldn't want her to mess up her makeup in the morning. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that all wired up. And uh, got the uh, got the outlet, which is a four prong outlet, and then I got the Grizzly. Uh, it's a big box, and of course, this is like you know, electricity is like water coming through a hose. The amount of water coming through is the amperage, and the uh, the pressure of the water is the voltage. So you can't just have a hose going into the sprinkler system and uh, just let it run and run and run. It, it won't work. Uh, it'll, it'll just keep running water or the sprinkler system will build up too much pressure and cut it off. So you can't do that with electricity either. So you need this grizzly box, which has a, um, I guess it's like a, you know, electronic pressure sensor. And when the car fills up, it cuts off. When the car is full, it puts back pressure because the electrons have mass and they have pressure. Um, and and so you have to have this grizzly box. So got that thing all hooked up and plugged it in, hung it on the wall. And it's got a 25-foot extension cord on it. It's pretty darn cool. So I backed the car up close enough to it, plugged it in. Damn, it worked. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> well, get yourself guess- a fleet of trucks, Doc, and start your own electronics business. You sound pretty uh, adept at this. I like all this, you know, I like everything. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, George, with hyperactivity. Um, so at any rate, I got it all done and, uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh, you remember the, uh, the grandparents and the grandson that were killed in Georgia. We talked about last week. Yes, sir. Uh, the gun range. Well, they caught the guy, Jacob Christian news. He's from, uh, college park, which I think is, uh, in Atlanta or one of the suburbs of Atlanta. So they caught him 21 years old. I mean, what's this guy thinking? God. Killed three people and stole 40 guns for what? Spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with that. I, you know, it's hard. I mean, in this day and age with all of the evidence, evidentiary uh, uh, scientific abilities that we have, it, it's just uh, it's just amazing. By the way, Ken sent me something, and this was from a research group in uh, where was this? This was over in 
in England, I do believe. And uh, it's about. If it's true, it's great news. Using mRNA technology, which is what we developed and used to make the mRNA vaccines for COVID to make, uh, uh, to inject into damaged heart cells, uh, messenger RNA to convince them to regenerate and maybe even make some more of their own heart cells. And apparently they've injected it into animals and so far it's working. That's pretty cool. I did not, I did not know that the heart cannot repair itself like other body parts. It cannot. The heart, the, the amount of heart muscle cells you're born with is the number that you die with, unless you get a heart transplant. Now we've tried injecting uh, growth hormones and uh, extra external heart cells and all that, but nothing has really seemed to work very well. But this sounds very promising, and as you know, RNA is uh, a genetic messenger that tells the cell what to do. So the DNA inside the cell nucleus has the the blueprint for what it wants the cell to do, but it doesn't do it directly. It sends a messenger RNA out, which is a mirror copy of what the DNA wants done, sends it out to the little factories out there, uh, the uh, ribosomes, and that's where the messenger RNA lays down, and, and then the cell comes in and makes proteins and other messenger material uh, to uh, tell the cell what to do from the RNA that's laying on this ribosome on the little factory that makes makes the proteins. And oh, speaking of <clears throat> speaking of electrons, of course, you have to have electrons to do anything and everything, right? So this you got to have. Yeah. And so you got your cells have to have electricity. So you need fuel to make the energy to get the electrons moving from one place to another. And so that fuel is sugar, glucose. And you got to have a spark plug, and um, you've got to have a carburetor. The carburetor is insulin to get the sugar into the cells, and the spark plug is your your thyroid hormone. And so you've got all these things that are basically just little engines, and the mitochondria makes electrons, frees up electrons. So, and then you have the oxidation and reduction, where you lose and gain electrons back and forth, and that's that takes energy, and you got to push these things around. And that's how you make the proteins, and, and then this tells the cells what to do. So now we're, we're manipulating cells using this messenger RNA technology that actually was developed originally back in 2005 or even earlier to try to figure out cures for cancer. It seems to be better used for making vaccines. But now we're saying, well, look, if we can manipulate a cell to make a spike protein, which is uh, what the uh, what the messenger RNA vaccine does, and then the the uh, dendritic cells present that to the to the uh, immune cells, the lymphocytes, and they make the antibodies. Why can't we use it to tell a cell to make more protein and repair itself, or to make more of itself, to to divide and and create more muscle cells in the heart? So that's pretty cool technology, Ken. Does it have, do you think this is a real game changer for science in general? I mean, could this be used for, say, Lou Gehrig's disease and multiple sclerosis and all kinds of stuff? Yep, yep. This is a game changer. The, the intracellular technology is where it's at. This is, and, and I said this from the beginning of the pandemic when we first looked at this RNA uh, vaccine, and I was saying, this is going to change the way we live. 
and it, it is, it, it will, and it will continue to. It has. It has, Ken. So are we going to all be living to 120 now? Well, I'm pr- I plan to drink myself to death by 85. <laughs> well, go on, you can go on. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't know that if, if you can alter every system, you know, keep the joints healthy, keep the brain reasonably healthy so you're not too demented. I wouldn't have a problem living to 120 if I could still do things. But you, know, you get to an age and stage where you can't really do much. And I, I just don't know that I want to sit. Maybe I'll change my mind as I get older. What do you think? You, you I, wanna... I don't want to be here and end up like my father. That's what I know. Okay, my father and my grandfather both had the Alzheimer's dementia whichever one they had, I'm not sure. But they did not have the quality of life that I want to have in my latter years. So unless there's a cure for that, I'm pretty certain I'm going to end up that way. So I'm doing everything I can to die in about 10 years (laughs) before it hits too hard. If you need help now, Dr. Bill has some lead uh, pills. (laughs) They come out of syringe really fast <laughs> well the problem is i won't know i've got it that's what happens i guess the people who have it are having a beautiful day it's the people around them who are suffering it really is yeah. much harder on the family and uh it, yeah it, it really doesn't matter to the person who's sitting in a diaper and in, in, in a wheelchair because they don't know what's going on anyway exactly it's very sad to, to see that and when the, you know it gets to the point where your father doesn't know who you are then it's just very depressing and I've got patients with uh, family members who are suffering from severe dementia. And I think the fear for them, too, is that they'll end up that way. And, uh, you know, you can understand that. It, it looks terrible from the outside looking in. And you think, well, they must be suffering. Of course, they're not. Not, not in the sense that, that we think of suffering as pain. No, it's a great day for them. It's another happy day. Yeah. Now, it's- this mRNA, if it could work on Alzheimer's and dementia, that would be huge, just in in, in in a lot of aspects, but also just from saving the country a bundle of money. Because with the baby boomers heading that direction, it's going to cost a lot. Yep. So. Well, speaking of dementia now and, and the caffeine, I told you my son uh, asked me about long-acting caffeine tablets. Did I say that yet? Did I mention that? Yes. I, uh, did we talk about that off the air or on the air? We were off the air when we were talking about that. That's he called me the other day and he said, Pops, what do you think about taking caffeine tablets? And I said, well, the problem is, is they're fast release. So you get, you know, you get real jittery for an hour or two and then it's gone. He said they have a 24 hour capsule or tablet out now. I said, that's pretty cool. And it was, I don't know, one to 200 milligrams, which is a couple of cups of coffee. Average cup of eight ounce coffee is about 95 to 100 milligrams of caffeine. If you go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, you're going to get of course, a higher dosage because they use uh, stronger coffee. And by the way, people think that that the uh, light roast has less caffeine. It has more caffeine. The dark roast has less caffeine. Ken, I would so, never. I would. I would have thought it was the other way around. You would have thought it. You would have thunk it, but no. So, actually, there's a there's some good research out there that says that that the caffeine in coffee may be somewhat protective against dementia. And uh, it acts similar to some of the uh, Alzheimer medications, which uh, boost up acetylcholine and other 
neuro uh, humors in the brain that are depleted in people with Alzheimer's disease. So methylxanthines, caffeine is a methylxanthine, and uh, there's different kinds. There's caffeine, there's theophylline and aminophylline, which are old-timey medicines we use for asthma because they dilate your bronchial vessels. They also make you more alert. And then there's uh, theobromine, which is the methylxanthine and chocolate. So chocolate's healthy for you. If you eat a little chocolate every day, it's probably healthy for you. And we know that uh, a couple of cups of coffee is probably about as potent and booting up your um, uh, your acetylcholine levels in your brain as some of these Alzheimer medications. Did you know that? I did not. I had no idea. I'll start drinking more coffee. And there's studies going into uh, Parkinson's disease and multiple sclerosis to see if caffeine helps. And so caffeine is actually uh, fairly beneficial and it's, you know, in a, a, not a huge amount, but, you know, 200 milligrams a day is, is good for you. It's, it's, it, it wakens you up, makes you more alert, uh, helps your brain, uh, gives you energy. Is there, so, is, is there any uh, correlation, do you think, between uh, Alzheimer's and retirement? Because it seems to me that if you keep your mind active, if you're like you are out there working every day, and there are people in this building who are should have retired probably 10 years ago, but they didn't want to, so just, they like what they do, so they're still working, and they all seem very mentally agile. You mean like Roger? Like Roger and Robert, people like that. Robert, yeah. So well, Robert, Robert's an, an, an just an inherently really bright guy. Yeah, but how much of that do you think is fights off dementia? Because when you sit down, and you just start watching television or whatever. You're you know you, you've got no purpose. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, I guess if you're sitting there eating chocolate Easter bunnies, you might be okay. But uh, if you're just sitting there drinking beer and <laughs> on the couch and eating cheese sandwiches and listening to the wife. I wonder how much of dementia is caused by uh, spouses nagging at you. <laughs> that That's the big question. But yeah, I think you got to stay active and the people that stay active uh, seem to do better. But now it could be, you know, a, a, a cause and effect. It could be chicken and egg because you don't know if they're more active because of the genetics and the, lack of the disease or if it's that their activity uh, gives them that extra boost that keeps them from having Alzheimer's. So we need to really investigate that more. But I'll tell you this, the people that live the longest and are the happiest are the people that stay active. They're generally slimmer than most other people. And they're upbeat. You know, they have a positive attitude. So I've got a 94-year-old patient and he still goes to his restaurant every day, same restaurant he's had for 50 or 60 years here in St. Petersburg on 4th Street uh, North. And uh, a year or two ago, he went down to Costa Rica and went on a fishing uh, uh, tour, guide, guided fishing, you know, charter. And he landed a 600-pound marlin. 600 <laughs> marlin. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> in, his, in his 90s. In his 90s. Wow. Said, did you have any help? He said, No, I bought it by myself for two, three hours. <laughs> like, holy cow! You got to be crazy, dude. He's a pretty muscular guy for his age, but and I've got two 100-year-olds. They're they're identical twins, and they come walking in, standing straight up and looking like a million dollars, and uh, they're 100 years old. 
It's just uh, it's just genetics, isn't it? It's got to be. I think there's a big component of it that uh, is genetic, and I think there's there's also uh, an attitude that goes along with it. And I, they're they're upbeat and they're very religious. Uh, you know, they have something they believe in. And like my 95 year, 94 year old who is still running his own business, he believes in what he's doing. You know, he believes in his mission in life and he loves the restaurant business. I mean, the guy's going in there every day back in the kitchen and overseeing things and then going out the front and greeting guests. And we've eaten at his place a couple of times. It's nice. It's a, you know, it's kind of like a semi fast food fish place, older, older style. You can sit down there's uh what do you call it picnic tables and all that out on the patio and you can get a decent meal there he's a good guy well bless his heart yeah it's unbelievable so then what about the easter bunny where the heck did he come from tim (laughs) uh you know i don't know where that started i i really don't do you know that in in uh, paleolithic times back in the stone age that people used to bury a rabbit next to them uh, because they thought it would help with their rebirth. Cause I guess rabbits were so prolific, you know, that they thought, well, you know, this is a fertility sign and the fertility gods will be with me. And then, uh, so then the, the Europeans glummed onto this and, you know, the Germans, they actually had uh, in, in the medieval times, they would take uh, rabbits and they would eat rabbit meat on Easter to get the, healthy benefits of the rabbit and longevity. And also it warded off witches over the Easter holiday. I guess witches were big back then. <laughs> what, where did the rabbit lucky foot come from? That's what I don't know. You just cut a foot off a rabbit and you're lucky all of a sudden, not the rabbit. That's for sure. Rabbits have had some symbolic meaning throughout history. You know, the, the, and back in, in, uh, in Julius Caesar time, he mentioned that the Britons, that hares were not eaten due to their religious significance. Did you know that? No. You have rabbits all over the place. <laughs> well, they bred like rabbits. That's right. <laughs> you may not have known that. So in Caesar, the the Romans had uh, hares were sacred to Aphrodite. You know, the I guess she was the love goddess, wasn't she? I believe so. So I guess if you ate some rabbit food before you went to the whorehouse, you'd perform. <laughs> and so this whole thing, you know, the, the the primitive peoples and the Romans and the Germanic peoples, they all had rabbits somehow intertwined with their uh, with their mythology and their their gods. And uh, they started hunting Easter eggs as early as 1600, maybe even earlier than that. And I did not know that, you know, that there's an Easter egg rolling uh, contest at the White House, or used, or used to be. I think that's, um, a, that's a yearly event, I think, yeah. Easter Monday, yeah. And uh, so I guess having rabbits close to you when you die and uh, when you're getting ready to, to make babies or when you're going to do whatever you're going to do, that rabbits and rabbit meat and eggs and all that are good things. Sign of fertility in spring and the renewal of life. So the tradition goes goes way back to, to the Stone Age. And uh, somehow witches got in the middle of it. And now, I don't, now what do we think when we think of rabbits? 
go shopping. I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, I'll get myself a hutch and get some rabbits, I think. Yeah. And uh, they're pretty greasy. Have you ever eaten rabbit meat? I have not, no. Yeah, they they uh, they have uh, have a lot of fat in them. So, I mean, they're not bad. The most thing, the most uh, exotic meat I've ever eaten is buffalo. That's kind of rangy beef, isn't it? Actually, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Very kind of a sweet beef. Yeah, it was it was one of the better steaks I've ever had. As a matter of fact, out in South Dakota. Wow. So try some buffalo meat if you ever get a chance. Yeah, let's do it. So. Uh, then Easter came from, supposedly, from the goddess Estra, E-O-E-S-T-R-E, uh, who was the spring goddess. You know, she was the goddess uh, in the month of April, was called Estra Monath, or Easter month, Esther month. And so then the, the, the Jews had the Passover feast is 40 days after the first new moon and and so that fell on a certain time period. And then there was the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar. And then the, the Christians got into a fight over that. And the Eastern went with the Julian calendar. And the Western Christians and Roman Christians went with the uh, Gregorian calendar. And so now we celebrate Easter on two different days, depending on whether you're Eastern right or you're Roman Catholic or uh, Christian, you know, Western right. And so we've got that. And you know where the Paschal came from? The Paschal lamb? I do not. From Pashua or Pasha, which is the uh, which was the Greek name for Passover, for the Jewish holiday of Passover. And so that's where that came from. So it's all intertwined. And actually, the Christians celebrated uh, Easter initially on the same day as as the Jews celebrated Passover, and then the Christians decided, well, that's probably not a good idea. Why don't we bump it up to Sunday? Because, you know, Friday and Saturday were the, uh, Friday's the holy day or Saturday, whatever, in, in Judaism. So that would have been the Passover feast. And so they said, well, we got to be different than the Jews. I mean, we're not Jewish anymore. We're Catholics. We're Christians. And so they, that's how they bumped that up and came up with that. You know, and, you know what, Doc? One of the things we should talk about this morning before we go to commercial is our contest. We have a contest that we've been doing here for the last few weeks. If you've been listening, you've been hearing it. We have two Dr. Bill, your Radio MD mugs up for grabs. Shall we give one away? Give both of them away, as a matter of fact? Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. All right. We have a question for you, and it deals with what happened earlier in the show. So if you've been listening to the first half of the show, you have the answer. All you have to do is give us a call at 877-969-8600. Be the first caller. With the correct answer, and you will win two Dr. Bill, your Radio MD mugs. And the question is, what did Doc install at his house in the last week? What did Doc install in his house uh, sometime in the last week? It, it's actually kind of connected to last week's question. What did Doc buy? So, good luck. 877-969-8600. First person with the correct answer to what device did Doc install, I imagine, in your garage or your parking lot? In the garage. In the garage, okay. (laughs) And he survived it. So give us a call. First caller wins. And in the meantime, we're going to throw that music at you, a little hippity-hop music for you. All right, Doc, 
See you in a little bit. Get some coffee. Rest your voice. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The battered port city of Mariupol appears to be on the brink of falling to Russian forces today after seven weeks under siege. Capturing the city would give Moscow a crucial success in its Ukrainian invasion, following a botched attempt to storm the capital and the loss of the Russian Navy's Black Sea flagship this past week. The Russian military estimates there are about 2,500 Ukrainian fighters holding out making a last stand at a steel plant, providing the last pocket of resistance. Palestinian medical officials say 17 people have been wounded in clashes with Israeli police in Jerusalem today. The unrest erupted after Israeli police entered the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound to secure a spot for Jewish visitors. It is also the Temple Mount holy to Jews, and this is Passover. It's also Easter, and millions of Christians around the world are celebrating. This is SRN News. If you Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket cost a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi, 727-577-2220, 727-577-2220. You hear about misinformation in the news every day. Dennis Prager here for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Brokers continue to talk buyers into overpriced collectible coins, claiming they appreciate more than gold and silver. It's a fact that the majority of the collectible market has actually lost value, even with gold near all-time highs. Call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion to take advantage of his honest advice and extensive expertise. 800-221-7694. That's 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. It happens once a year. International Diamond Center Spectacular Storewide Spring Sale. Next week in April 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Up to 20% off all rings, bands, bracelets, earrings, and fashion jewelry. Plus, up to three years, zero interest financing. And only at International Diamond Center. Unapproved credit. 
As a former congressman and the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives, Doug Collins knows what it means to fight for what he believes. And on every episode of the Doug Collins Podcast, he'll explore all topics from politics to life advice and blend them together for a well-rounded discussion that you can use to get the most out of your life. The Doug Collins Podcast. Subscribe today on Apple, Google, Spotify, and at SalemPodcastNetwork.com. So just how smart is your smartphone? Add a couple of dozen IQ points to your digital friend by downloading the AM860 app. Local news, national headlines, and incisive commentary. Turning your smartphone into a genius. The AM860 app is the answer. AM860, the answer. Online at theanswertampa.com. Odyssey. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. A mix of sun and clouds today with a thunderstorm in some spots this afternoon. Today's high 87. Cloudy skies tonight, low 73. It'll be partly sunny tomorrow. Monday's high 85. Clear tomorrow night, low 69. Tuesday, plenty of sun with a breeze and it'll be less humid. Tuesday's high 84. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Sally Sherman for AM860. The answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. We're doing a radio show this morning. Are you there, Ken? I certainly am, sir. Good deal. Nice music. I liked it. Very pleasant for an Easter Sunday. Very pleasant. So we were talking about that uh, that first developing cure for heart attacks, not for the actual heart attack, but for the damage done to the heart, regenerating it. And that was pretty cool. It's because, you know, we just can't regenerate heart cells, so... I like that idea. That's using that messenger RNA vaccine uh, technology. Pretty cool. What else doesn't generate cells if they die off? Well, we used to think the brain didn't, but there's some evidence now that says that there there is a possibility that some brain cells will regenerate. And we know people do recover from, from strokes. Uh, one of the most catastrophic strokes to see is a, a, a brain stem or a midbrain stroke or a cere- cerebellar stroke. And people are oftentimes comatose, but uh, uh, if you can get some blood flow back there and get some nutrients back there, you might be able to save some of the cells, and they do come back. People come out of comas, and they're up and walking in a few months. So it's pretty interesting to see that. I would in some ways like to come back in about 150 years and just see how far we've gone, you know? Well, that is if Putin doesn't blow us all up. (laughs) That's for sure. So everybody in the lunchroom's all worried. I'm, they're like, oh, my God, we can't go into the Ukraine. We'll start a world war, and it'll be nuclear. I said, nah, it won't be nuclear. And if it is, we'll come out of it way ahead. And, and so I was talking with one of the guys, and we were like, yeah, so we lose 5 or 10 million people. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> Got 340 million, you know. <laughs> ah, well, you know, let's hope we don't get that far. Yeah, let's hope not, because most people, they're appalled at the idea of a million people dying in a pandemic. And I'm like, that's it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, we got 340 million people in this country. And most of the people that died in the pandemic were had underlying problems anyway. But, I mean, you feel bad. You do what you can to keep them alive. But that's not, uh, 
It's not the end of the world. We go on. You know, we go on, Ken. Don't have any choice. No, we don't have any choice. Life longs for itself. Life longs for itself. So at any rate, so I was saying to these guys in the lunchroom, I said, look, where's the biggest threat coming from? It's coming from their nuclear submarines. You know, we track them all over the place. Did you know that? I'm sure we do. They track ours as well, I imagine. Yeah, but they don't have the technology we do. We have underwater sonar and uh, wave, uh, uh, tidal wave de- detectors and all these things. And the deepest a nuclear sub can go down is about 3,000 feet. And we can get down to about three to 5,000 feet with our equipment. And, of course, this has to come back up because you can't get radio waves through water. So it has to come back up to the surface. Uh, to, it has to be tethered to something. And then that's transmitted up to a satellite, and it takes a computer program to interpret all of that. And so that is not something that anybody else in the world has. We got it. Now, maybe the Chinese are developing some of it and putting it in the South China Sea, but they're nowhere near where we're close to where we're at. But they are heavily, uh, I was reading just the other day, both Russia and China are both heavily developing anti-satellite satellites. Yeah, they're doing that. And the, the Chinese, they've come up with their their J-20 fighter. Now they're, they've developed their own engine because they were using Russian junk. You know, <laughs> They couldn't keep up. But they cannot figure out how to make the metallurgy is, the, is a big part of that because you have to have metal that's strong enough and uh, can tolerate the heat uh, and the stresses uh, enough to to make a, a supersonic fighter. And they don't have that technology yet. And we've been pretty good about hiding that from them. You know, we're way ahead on, on metallurgy. So at any rate, you got these submarines down about 3,000 feet. And we track them all over the place. And we have what are called killer subs. Do you know what those are? Killer subs? We uh, Our subs kill their subs? Yeah, they don't carry uh, missiles. They carry torpedoes and a, a lot of high-tech uh, tracking equipment. And uh, they're smaller and they're faster. And they track these uh, foreign subs all over the place. They trail them. That's all they do. And so all they, all's we need to do is give them the word, and they can take out all these Russian subs that have nuclear warheads. Pretty cool. Yeah, but the warheads are launched so close to the U.S. at that point that there's not much time to do anything. Well, you know, there, I'm sure that there is some, uh, uh, some sonar technology that they can get a message down there. Now, the, the, the Russians, they don't know to fire either. You know, they've got the same problem. They can't get radio waves through, through water, so they'll have to come up to the surface to get a message. They have to come up at least high enough to get their periscope up so they can get some... Uh, get some uh, electronic messages coming in telling them to fire. So I'm not really worried about a nuclear attack from Russia, even though they have a lot of land missiles, a lot of it's junk. And uh, I told you about the, uh, the MiG 28s that the Indians bought a couple of decades ago from them. Did I tell you about that? Um, A few weeks ago, I think you may have mentioned that. Yeah. They all crashed. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that's not me. That's the guys that lived in India who moved over here. And they said they all crashed. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we're afraid that uh, China and Russia are catching up to us. But as long as we continue our research and uh, uh, stimulate our competitive edge and 
get the left wing out of the way and because we really are the greatest country in the history of the world. And, you know, we're, we're humanity's last best hope. We are the policemen of the world, like it or not. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to see China flying their J-20s out there. We'll get a nice picture of what their stealth is like. Because they say this is as stealthy as, as the uh, F-22, but I doubt it. Well, it, you know, the stealth technology is a lot easier than the metallurgy that goes into making the, uh, the engines. That's the tough part. I mean, you can blow something up and you can manage that explosion and make a jet engine out of it. But housing that so that the engine housing doesn't blow up or doesn't overheat or doesn't fall off, that's, that's not easy. That's tough to do. And there's a lot of secrecy involved with that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, some of the American pilots that have seen the F, uh, their, uh, their J-20 jets say that they're, they're pretty impressive. But that doesn't mean that they're better than ours. They're just saying they're pretty impressive. Well, we're getting a good, oh, we'll get a good cross signal of what their radar cross signal looks like. And um, we'll be able to find them when, if, when we need to. Yeah. And... They're apparently going to use these to patrol the South China Sea, I guess, you know, show a muscle. And it's a nice looking plane. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but uh, can their technology keep up with ours? I don't think it can at this point, Ken, but, you know, we don't want to test that. We just want to civilize these folks. Yeah, uh, they're going to do their best to steal everything they can from us. So, Well, I think that... Uh, the, the you know the, the problem with the Chinese is that they're not really a united nation. There, I mean, there there's a lot of different ethnic groups and, and dialects and factions pulling this way and that. So what's going to happen if they go to war with the United States after all these decades of uh, being close to us and making money off of us and interacting with us in ways that are really pretty unique. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to stop and think about the, the uh, relationships that have been built up. I mean, I have relationships with some of the saleswomen over there from things that I've bought, and uh, they're fairly friendly with me. Now, whether that's just because they think that I'll marry them and bring them to the United States, or, <laughs> I don't think that's so. I think, I think it's truly, they're curious and they, they want to uh, be friends with us. And as I told you before, I was just shocked at the number of people in China that speak English and try to speak English or want to practice English. Well, we are their biggest trading partner, I think. I, I don't know. I think we might be, yeah, under normal circumstances. I'm not sure since the uh, Trump tariffs and everything went into effect, but I think before that we may have been. It may be. I thought that. I thought our first trading partner was Canada. You got a winner for us, buddy? I do. Yes, I do. We are congratulating Donna Wiley from St. Pete. Donna Wiley from St. Pete. Good job, Donna. Knew the, uh, the the device that the doc installed earlier this week was a... Grizzly 40-amp car charger, electric car charger. And it charges your car, and how, fa- how fast is that? Six Six hours? That- Yep. My car was down about, I don't know, about a sixth of the way, and I plugged it in and jumped in the shower and got ready to go to work, and it took me a half an hour, went back out, and it was charged fully. Not bad. But we'll see what this does to your electric bill. That's the question. 
Now, the fastest chargers are those DC chargers. I don't know if my car is compatible with that. Apparently, you can get 15 to 30 minutes of charge and you're done. But finding one of those stations and finding one when it's available, because, you know, there's a big demand right now. There's not enough infrastructure yet. That's the problem. Well, so what do you what are you going to do? You got to install them in your garage, I guess. That's what everybody going to end up doing when they buy one of these things. Now it did, and it did come with a with a little uh, smaller twenty amp uh, charger, and you can plug it into a one twenty, one ten, one twenty outlet, household outlet. But it takes like sixty hours to charge from from flat and zero all the way up. But if, you could do it every night. You know, you could charge for six or eight hours. And basically, this is a round town kind of car. I wouldn't think of going on a long trip, maybe to Orlando, maybe the furthest is Jacksonville, but you'd have to plan the trip and make sure you stayed somewhere, hotel where they had a, a charger, charging station, because you, you might not be able to find a charging station, and if you do it, it might be fully occupied, or they might not all be working, they don't always all work, it's new technology. Well, I think I'll wait, I think I'll hold off. I think you, I think you should. And, uh, and I, you can just ride around with me. I'll just borrow yours. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, of trading partners in China, how are we going to get rid of this, uh, dependence on foreign, um, foreign manufacturing? I mean, that's, that's a real problem. The only way I can see it happening is for, uh, the United States to the government to pump some money. in. I know that that's kind of, uh, uh, anathema the, to the free enterprise, uh, philosophy. And of course, Elon Musk says, we don't need the government um, putting up uh, 500,000 charging stations. Let private enterprise do that. And I think there's something to be said for that. But certainly, we could uh, we could encourage some more domestic production by lending money to startup companies or to companies that are already established to bring back or to begin new manufacturing processes uh, in our country. And and then, of course, they have to pay it back with interest, which is okay. You know, that, that, that's all right. I mean, I've taken out SBA loans, Small Business Administration loans, uh, to purchase the office building. And, and actually, it's not, a, it's not a loan directly from the SBA, Ken. It's a loan from a bank that participates with the SBA. And the SBA just underwrites it. That is, they ensure that if there's a default on the loan, that they'll pay 80% of the loan back to the bank. And um, then the bank can come after you for the rest of it or whatever, if they can figure out how to get it. Yeah, I've got no problem with a loan like that. That's fine. That's fine. And so basically we could have guaranteed loans, and then you pay it back to the bank, and that way you get competitive uh, um, commercial rates, and you can get your business up and running. Now, the other thing is going to be the supply chain. So let's say I want to make my toenail gel. And I need urea for that. Well, the urea I bought, and I bought a ton of it, I'm literally a metric ton, I had to buy from China. And it was shipped over because there's not anybody in the United States making urea, uh, not, not for the uh, pharmaceutical industry. So now we have to have somebody that's making urea to keep the supply chain running. And there's benefits to that because guess what? If you have domestic production, you cut out a time period and middlemen, and so you're leaner, you're more agile, and you can roll with the market easier. So let's say that you anticipate that the market for toenail gel is going to drop off next year. 
well, you just stop production of your urea factory now, and then you can cut down on your production of your toenail gel. And so you've got a, a more limber, uh, more agile, more efficient supply chain. You can meet the supply and demand. And of course, pumping money out into the economy without uh, a commensurate uh, increase in production does nothing but fuel inflation. Because if you say, well, we're going to pump out, you know, $500 billion so people can go out and buy a new car, but there's no new cars out there because of the supply chain problems coming from China. Guess what? They're going to charge more for the cars that they do have. Sure. And that's what's happening. Yeah. And that's what's happening. Even paid, used cars are like $8,000 more than they should be. I paid 5000 over sticker for my car. Wow. Doc. That's almost 10% of the cost of the car. That's a lot of money. Well, hopefully this is starting to ease up now. I was reading yesterday, as a matter of fact, that the uh, shipping container companies are having problems now filling up their containers because the economy has shifted a bit and people aren't, they don't have all the stimulus money anymore to buy stuff online. So those orders have gone way down. And apparently it's getting so bad they want to keep those prices up so high that they're they have some ships that are just full of stuff that they just keep sending around in a circle. Oh, yeah. Because it makes it look like they have more shipping going on than they actually do. And also remember, they can't get workers to unload the, the container cargo containers uh, when they get them to the warehouse. And that's what one of the things that one of my patients who's a semi-tractor trailer driver said. He said, Doc, there's plenty of drivers and tractor trailers out there, but if you can't get somebody to unload the the, the uh the uh, containers, then there's there's no you know, there's no reason to put it on your truck. So they got trucks backed up you know a mile, waiting to pick up stuff out at Long Beach, and uh, they they can't get it because they're they're not unloading the uh, you know they're not getting it off of the off of the docks onto trucks and unloading it. So they've got all this stuff backed up. Well, hopefully with uh, less containers coming in, they'll be able to catch up on that one of these days. So, you know, the, the tariffs are a good idea, um, and it's not the first time in our history that we've protected our own industry with tariffs. Uh, that, that comes and goes. And, uh, you know, we drop the tariffs when we're trying to stimulate and help out somebody else like China, and they get a most favored nation trade status. And now that China's coming up and they're, they're figuring out how to do things on their own, now it may be time to reimpose some tariffs like Trump did. And I don't think Biden took those down yet, did he? He did the, not, sir, no. So that, that that obviously was a good idea. And that's helping. And it actually uh, increased the cost of goods considerably, which then says to you or to me or to any uh, consumer at the wholesale level, can I get it cheaper here? Because I won't have to pay the shipping and I won't have to pay the tariffs. And those two items have increased the cost of it more than if somebody had made it here. So now I've got to find somebody that makes this stuff in the United States or Canada or Mexico so I can get it. So uh, now, so we need some government push and incentives. We don't need to be giving money away to everybody and his brother. We need to be lending money to businesses to bring uh, industry back to the United States to get production back in the United States. And we can make good stuff. There's nothing wrong with our ability to make things. You know, we still have the high-end stuff made here, high-end chips, high-end uh, electronics, high-end weaponry. 
mean, everything high end is still made in the United States or in Western Europe. Well, we don't have enough workers. That's the problem. We can't fill the jobs we have now. Oh, we got workers. They just don't want to come back. <laughs> yeah. We'll cut off their free lunch and they'll come back, you know, realize I'm not getting another subsidy check. I'm not getting another uh, handout from the government. And one of my neighbors, I was talking to him last night. He has a uh, like a leisure furniture store and clothing and outdoorsy kind of stuff up in Pennsylvania. And he said one of his best years was last year. I said, why? He said, because people had all the stimulus money. They didn't know what to do with it. And they're sitting around home. So they went and got their patios all decked out with new furniture and their summer clothes and wardrobe and everything. I said, really? He said, yeah, we did really well last year. So yeah, nobody had anything to do except shop. That's the only thing we could do. Yeah. You know, Google, their their sales went way up. Now, their stock didn't do quite as well because they had a lot of capital expenditures. They saw an opportunity to expand, but their stock's going to continue to climb. Well, let's hope this gets a little better as time goes on because we got to bring that inflation down, Doc. It's killing us. It's killing us, and the trade deficit is still growing. It's uh, it's all it's linear to exponential in growth. Um, there's times when it's linear, and there's times when it's almost exponential in growth. So that's not a good thing. We want to get that down. And we got to get gas prices down. Well, we can do that. I, I see where Sleepy Joe woke up, and he's going to open up uh, some federal lands to drilling. But it's just not that easy because the, the government – the administration is saying, well, the Texans, they got plenty of areas they can drill. And the drillers are saying, it's not that easy. If you shut off the pipelines, and you don't have trucks to haul this stuff, uh, and you can't get the materials because the supply chain screwed up. I mean, you got to have diamond bits, you got to have uh, tubing, you got to have joints, you got to have uh, structural steel. I mean, there's a lot that you have to have to, to drill. I was uh, re- I was reading something the other day about um, I remember I've been a- I've been asking on the air for the past few months actually why aren't we drilling in North Dakota why aren't we opening up all those wells they can't find the people up there to do it anymore they all left everybody left because because the, the sleepy Joe shut everything down that's right exactly and the Keystone pipeline I mean he stopped the production on that the Canadians I'm talking to them all the time they're saying why did you guys do that I said hey it wasn't me it was that idiot Biden. <laughs> Don't blame us. Don't blame us. We want it. And uh, if we can figure out a way to get it back up and going. So now that's going to be the next push is to open that up. We'll probably have riots in the street. You know, we'll have Green Lives Matter now. Somebody out there raising it. All right, we're getting close to the end here. So I thought it was a pretty good show for a couple of sick guys. <laughs> Not too bad at all. That's right. Not too shabby, buddy. We we. We kept it up pretty well. We're both a bit under the weather today, but we made it through. You got about 15 seconds. You want to plug the office number? Dr. Bill, 813, no, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Bye-bye, Doc. Bye. See you later, buddy. I'm out of here. For listening to Dr. Bill, your radio MD. 
Join Dr. Bill every Sunday morning at 9 for more insight, information, provocation, and fun. Dr. Bill Handelman practices in St. Petersburg, Florida at Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic, 6399 38th Avenue North. For your convenience, telemedicine appointments are available. Call his office today at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411. Or visit his website at Clinic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.